the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on AM860, theanswer.com. That's AM860theanswer.com. You can also reach me at my website, drbillradiomd.com, drbillradiomd.com. And you can click Listen Live or join me on my website, and you can hear the show live. We also have shows archived from the past. I hope we're archiving them, Bill. So we have to, that's his job. Bill's doing it. He says he's on the case. And we're also talk radio and enjoy having people call in at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. I've had a request from several people to to look into the sanctuary city situation, which has, among other things, grabbed the nation's attention because we have cities saying that they're not going to cooperate with the federal government and also mayors who are not only not cooperating, but they're informing illegal immigrants when the federal agents are coming to round them up. Oh, my God. And so people are yelling and screaming, and the the Trump administration says they're going to cut off funds to these cities and the jurisdictions that harbor uh, illegal immigrants, which are being sought by the ICE agents, the department that goes after the illegal immigrants and boots them out of the country. And we've also had some high-profile cases of criminals killing people, uh, drunken driving with vehicular homicide and uh, being released or protected or treated as if they were not illegal immigrants by some of the jurisdictions. So it's, it's a problem, and there are questions that arise. The, mains, the main one being, does the president have the power to withhold funds from these cities? And in a short answer, it's no, he does not. The Constitution gives the power of the purse strings to Congress. And the reason for that is is very simple, and it goes back into English history. The English Civil War, which was still in the minds of the Revolutionary Fathers, our founding fathers in the 1760s, 70s, and 80s, was the memory of the English Civil War, which had occurred about 120 to 130 years before, and the fight started over Parliament 
and the king. The king wanted more money to fight wars in Europe against Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King. And Parliament said, "Well, we'll give you some, but we're not going to give you all that you want." And the king said, "Wait a minute, I'm I'm the king. I have a divine right. You have to obey me." And Parliament said, "Well, you may think you're divine, but we don't." And so a big civil war broke out that pitted the loyalists to the crown, who were mostly Anglican, against the Puritans, who were led by Cromwell. And it destroyed England for a generation, tore the country apart, uh, bankrupted the, the crown for a decade. And the memories of that still reverberate, much as our Civil War memories reverberate through our our country. And so the Founding Fathers saw this and they said, well, let's spell this out more definitely. And so in the Constitution, uh, in the article that deals with the legislative branch, which is the first article, by the way, Section 7 says that all bills for raising revenue shall originate in the House of Representatives, but the Senate may propose or concur with amendments on other bills. Every bill which shall have passed the House and the Senate then has to go to the president, as we know, and he has to sign it, or if he refuses to sign it, then it goes back to Congress, and they can overrule his veto by a two-thirds majority. But it's not the president's domain to say whether or not that money will be dispersed. If the Congress says that we're giving out $100 billion for roads and it'll be apportioned equally among the states, then that has to be done. And the president can't say, well, I'm not going to give California this money for their highways because they're misbehaving and they're, they're defying federal law and they're not cooperating with us when we go in to seize illegal immigrants, who, especially those who have committed crimes. Well, that's exactly what Trump and the Department of Justice tried to do. They said that we're going to withhold your funds. And, of course, the jurisdictions, the states, they took it right to the federal courts. And the federal courts followed the Constitution and said, that's right, the president does not have the power to withhold funds because the states are not cooperating with what he wants done and the laws that he wants to enforce. And you say, well, how can that be? Well, the the separation between the federal government and the state is defined so that if the federal government passes a law, which its responsibility, which responsibility belongs to the federal government exclusively, then the states don't have to help. I mean, they can help, but they don't have to help. So if the ICE agents are going out to round up illegal immigrants and the states say, well, we don't really want them rounded up because they're productive citizens, most of them, which may or may not be true. Then the states say, well, we're not going to help you. You know, you're on your own. We've got our hands full just policing the streets of, of San Francisco and Oakland and Los Angeles, and we don't have time to stop and help the federal agents. And in addition, the jurisdictions are even saying, even though we have these people in custody, we have them locked up. That doesn't mean that we're going to cooperate and turn them over to you or let you know that we even have them. And you say, well, can't the federal government do something? Yes, certainly it can. But that has to come from Congress. Congress can put strings on the monies that are allocated to the jurisdictions. That money comes in from taxes. 
and goes back out to the people. And this is not only at individual and local levels, but also state levels, cities, counties. And this makes uh, a, a very tight relationship between the states and the federal government, but it also defines some separation of powers which are necessary to keep everybody apart. And all this goes back to the founding fathers. These debates are not new. They've been going on since the beginning of the of the uh, country, and they're going to continue going on. These are common spats that are fought between executive and legislative branches of governments. They're more visible in our society because of the separation of powers and our openness, our willingness to share our dirty laundry with the world. Apparently the world likes it. You know, they, We probably are one of the most followed empires in the history of the universe. Well, at least our little universe here on earth. So the federal government can't force the states to cooperate in something that is basically the federal government's domain and, and the federal government's duty and responsibility. Now, the states can cooperate, and I know you're going to say, well, look, the federal government cooperates with the states. They have that fingerprint data bank and DNA data bank all set up on the FBI uh, servers and computers, and the FBI is happy to help out if they have information regarding criminals in the localities. And yes, that's true. Absolutely. You say, well, why don't we just not help the, the states? Why don't we just not help California, not allow them to share information that's on the FBI computers and websites? Well, first of all, they own a piece of it. And secondly, we've got to be the bigger party here. The federal government has to be the the more magnanimous and the more inclusive. Otherwise, it's not going to work. The states formed the federal government, and as Jefferson and Madison pointed out, the states have given the power to the federal government, and those powers which have not been given to the federal government are reserved for the states. And it's very simple that that separation of power is what keeps the federal government in check and what forces the states to cooperate with each other. And there are times when they don't want to cooperate. So you say, well, you mean we can't withhold funding from these jurisdictions who are harboring these criminal illegal aliens? Yes, we can, but it has to go through the legislature. It has to go through Congress. Then you step into the next portion of this, which is who enforces these laws? Well, let's say that the purse strings have strings attached to it, and so you want some federal money, and you go, you're a state or local jurisdiction, and you go to the federal government and say, well, we've paid this much tax in for our state, and we want this much for our program here to improve our inner city and pay for our police, uh, get them new squad cars, do different things. And Congress has put a proviso on the funding bill that says that you have to cooperate with the president, the executive branch, and enforcing the immigration laws of the United States. Then you get into a whole other debate, and the jurisdictions say, well, wait a minute, that's not our job to enforce the immigration laws. That's what the federal government's supposed to do. And Congress says, well, we're changing the laws. And 
they can do that. Of course, it'll go to court to test whether or not it's constitutional, but there are some powers that the Congress has in determining not only what monies will be spent and where, but whether or not there are certain hoops you have to jump through in order to get that money. I mean, it's the same way with building a road. If you're building an interstate or you're expanding a local highway and you're using some federal funds, then you have to follow certain rules. You have to follow certain engineering guidelines. You have to follow certain environmental impact guidelines. There's a whole host of of rules and regulations that are necessary to be passed before you can take that money and start your road in your jurisdiction. Well, you say, well, what about this mayor out in Oakland who gave the illegal immigrants a heads up that the feds were coming, that the ICE agents were coming to get them? That's interfering with the federal government's duly constituted responsibilities and uh, legal actions. And that, that's a problem. That's a problem for the mayor and for the jurisdiction of Oakland. And that's going to court. And the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, has decided that he's going to go after this jurisdiction for interfering with the federal government's duly uh, and lawfully executed responsibilities of seizing illegal immigrants and deporting them. And it may even be criminal for, for the mayor to have done what she did there. And we shall see, but first of all, he's going after it in a civil fashion, and he wants some money back from this jurisdiction. So he's suing the jurisdiction, and the argument will be, look, you can't interfere with the lawful function of the federal government any more than the federal government can interfere with the lawful functions of the state or the local jurisdictions. That's the way it works. We have to respect each other. And that's the purpose of the Constitution. And uh, this has shown uh, a great disrespect. In my opinion, it, it, it's, it's actionable. There's certainly more than enough reason and data there to say that we have a good lawsuit against this jurisdiction and we want some money back. If you're not going to help us, that's one thing. But if you're going to interfere, then that's a whole other thing. And again, it may even be a criminal problem. I'm not a constitutional lawyer, obviously, but it sure sounds criminal to me. You can't interfere with a federal agent who's doing what he's supposed to be doing. I mean, that that's we all know that it's like trying to interfere with the police when they're carrying out their lawfully uh, designated functions. You can't do that. If the police come into your home with a warrant and you resist, well, then you're at fault, even if you haven't done anything. If the warrant's obtained illegally, as we're seeing with this Russian investigation that the judges were lied to or not given all the information about the events and what is leading these agents to come to the federal courts and say, we need a warrant to a, a secret warrant to look at this guy because X, Y, Z. And the judge says, okay. And then later on, the judge finds out that they didn't give him all of the information. And he says, wait a minute. And that's what's happening with the Michael Flynn case. So what are sanctuary cities and how long have they been around? Well, they've been around since the beginning of cities, obviously. 
there's always going to be a tug of war between the local and the federal jurisdictions. There's always going to be a tug of war between people who are for and against immigrants and who want to protect them or boot them out. That's why we have laws regarding legal immigration into our country. And we have had since the beginning of the, of the Republic in the 1790s, uh, the federal government passed a law which restricted immigration into the United States. And Kentucky and Virginia formed a resolution, the Kentucky, Virginia, Virginia, Kentucky resolution uh, with uh, Thomas Jefferson as the lead, the point man on this whole thing. And basically, it said that the federal government's law regarding immigration was unconstitutional, and it didn't have the power to do that because Jefferson was a strict constructionist, at least before he was president. So he was a state's rightist, and he led the Democratic Republicans. Of course, he morphed after he'd been in the White House for two terms and became more of a federalist, but those things happen. And his argument was that we're going to give the federal government too much power, and therefore we have the ability as states to nullify all or part of the Constitution. Well, this is the whole argument that led up to the Civil War, and that was in the 1820s that South Carolina passed their Nullification Act because of the heavy import taxes. And by the way, this is what President Trump's trying to do is increase our import taxes on aluminum and steel purportedly to protect those industries from unfair international competition. I think he's also positioning himself for trade discussions with various countries, starting with NAFTA, which is Mexico and Canada and the United States. But the act of passing tariffs, which were onerous to the people in the South because they exported a lot of cotton and other commodities to Europe uh, and would have their taxes on their products that were going into Europe increase, which would make them more costly for the Europeans and therefore uh, less goods would be bought from the United States. And, and at that time, the South was the part of the country that was exporting and bringing in new cash to the country. And you say, well, it was done on the backs of slaves, and that's true. Uh, I'm not going to argue that, and certainly a big part of the Civil War was over slavery. But what we don't remember and what we're not taught is that the main rub that had been going on up until the Civil War and afterwards, still we see it here today, was the, the rub between uh, nullification by the states of all are part of the Constitution, and the federal government's right to say that, no, you can't leave the, the Union, you can work it out with us. And South Carolina's act of nullification was repealed after President Andrew Jackson agreed to lower the tariffs back down to the 1815 levels. So we're seeing the same thing over and over here. So do the states have the right to nullify the Constitution? Do they have the right to actively interfere in the lawful functions of the federal government? Apparently not. We'll see what the courts have to say. 
do they have the right to say that we're not going to do this for you because it's not our job and we're not getting paid to do that? That is to round up illegal immigrants and to hold them in their jails. And if you've been out to the jails in your jurisdiction, you know they're all overflowing with people. And I hear this from the deputies and the police that are patients of mine, and they say that the jails are becoming bedlam houses, that they're psychiatric institutions, and uh, that that's not new, but, but even more so than they don't have room in the jails and they don't have funding, and the medical care is, is terrible for a lot of the inmates. So it, it's a big problem. And the jurisdictions are being very practical in some respects and saying, you know what, if we cooperate with the federal government and round up all these people and lock them up, we're not going to have room for anybody else in our jails. And our police and sheriffs are going to be tied up doing the work of the federal government when they should be policing our streets. So, you can see there's a big uh, disconnect here between the federal and the, the state governments and the local jurisdictions. However, what the Oakland mayor did, uh, I'm sure, rises to the level of an actionable cause. And, and I'll be happy to see her receive her just desserts. And I think the jurisdiction needs to be punished, too. And by the way, I still think that the, that the uh, Broward County needs to be sued by all of the people who were affected by the mass shooting over there. I, I, I just think that that's the only way to remedy this situation is to make these jurisdictions obey and enforce the laws that we have passed as a state. And the same with the federal government or any state. And you say, well, what kind of cities adopt this sanctuary stance? Well, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oakland, it's a long list, and it goes on and on and on. And can they do this? Yeah, of course they can. Can the president choose to enforce the laws here and go after these illegal immigrants? Absolutely. Can he make the local jurisdictions participate? No. He can't. He can't withhold funding because it's not it's not his uh, money to withhold. He's just the bursar. He's the top cop. And if Congress says, you give this jurisdiction this amount of money and that jurisdiction that amount of money for their police cars and their various and sundry necessities for running a, a sheriff's department or a police department, then he doesn't have a choice. He has to give it to them. He tried that. He challenged President Trump challenged that, and of course the federal district court struck it down without even batting an eye because that's not in his domain. So he has to go back to Congress and say, we need to put some strings on the funding of these jurisdictions, and there he's going to get some fight too. But he can decide which laws to enforce and which laws not to enforce. And this is his prosecutorial discretion. Why? Well, there's 4,000 criminal laws in the United States in the federal code, 4,000. And obviously, there is not enough manpower or resources to enforce all of these laws. So Congress has turned this over to the president and kind of 
quietly, tacitly has said to the president, okay, we know that these all can't be enforced, so we're going to count on you to enforce those that you feel are necessary at this point in time to keep the country up and running. And so the president has the power to say, I'm going to enforce the immigration laws, and I'm going to put my ICE agents on the task of rounding up, especially the illegal immigrants who have committed crimes. And I need to know who these people are and where they are. And so now he's got to figure out a way to get the local jurisdictions to cooperate until Congress can amend the laws and the purse strings and say, well, you're not going to get any more money for your police department or your sheriff's department unless you start telling us when you have an illegal immigrant in custody and we'll come pick them up. The jurisdictions are saying, we ain't going to do that. We're not going to do that because some of the people that are family members are here legally and we're going to have riots in the street or we're going to lose workers or whatever. There's a hundred reasons why they don't want to do it. It takes time. Somebody's got to get on the phone and notify the agents. Somebody has to feed the people that are in custody. Somebody has to be concerned with their health and welfare. You say, well, they're illegal immigrants. Why do they get all that? Because that's the way our constitution works. If you're in the United States, basically you have the same rights as for the most part as every other citizen. You don't have the right to vote and you don't have certain rights that come along with being a full fledged citizen, but basically you have rights. If you're arrested for murder or rape or theft, then you have the same right to a jury trial as a citizen would. And that is the great strength of our society is that I know it's not perfect, but that we're treated equally and we treat each other, even our guest, even our illegal guest with the same legal deference that we treat ourselves it makes us a bigger, greater nation. You know, we don't see that in a lot of the other big powers. China is basically a, a dictatorship now. Russia is an oligarchy with Putin at the head, and they ignore all international laws. And if they're doing that, they're ignoring national laws too there, and they're killing people that they don't like who have left the country, killing them on foreign soil, as we saw with Great Britain in England in the past week or two. And Prime Minister May booted out a whole bunch of Russian diplomats, and the Russians retaliated and booted out a whole bunch of British diplomats, and so there's a spat going on there. And it points to the lack of lawfulness that exists in a lot of the world, that it's very capricious, that it's very uh, dependent upon who's in power and what they want to do and who they want to do it to, whether or not there are laws on the books in those countries. So we do have laws on the books no, we can't enforce them all. Obviously, spitting on the sidewalk is still illegal in many parts of the country, but TB is not a big threat anymore, and most people are trained not to spit on the sidewalk, and the police are not going to give you a ticket for spitting on the sidewalk. It would be too onerous. It would take too many policemen 
You say, well, why don't we get rid of some of these laws that are on the books? Why do we continue to carry all this nonsense? I, I think that, again, you're talking about manpower. You're talking about going back and looking at things and, and, and saying, what are we going to do about this? Nobody, this isn't important anymore. This isn't relevant. And the morals and values also change. And laws against certain sexual acts in the past now have fallen out of favor probably swing back the other way, but these things are tough to enforce, take up a lot of time to undo and requires that somebody go back and look at all of this. And in the case of the federal statutes, it'll have to be Congress because that's who passes the laws. And Congress is from what I can see pretty busy with things like the budget, Homeland security, debating the Russian interference into our elections so on and so forth, and tax reform. So they've got their hands full, and it's understandable that they're not going to be able to hunker down and get all of this done, and at the same time look back through their volumes of federal codes and decide which ones are silly and need to be undone. It's much easier just to say to the president, well, you pick the ones that you think are important and you enforce those. And, of course, Obama tried to enforce the ones that he thought were important, and every president does this. And right now, Trump's got the reins, and so he's trying to enforce those laws which he thinks are important and which he campaigned on, one of which was to reform immigration and to boot out illegal immigrants who are transgressing against our laws. Not an easy situation for anybody, but... That's the way it is. So Trump used this animosity that had been building within the country against illegal immigrants, and the press is quite capable of stirring it up, even though there are a few murders here and there committed by the illegal immigrants. Still, they're so onerous and so highly visible that we have to stop and say to ourselves, do we want these people in here anymore? And Trump has seized upon that. And we're all outraged. And so he said, well, you know what? Your disenchantment is my disenchantment. And I'm going to get into the White House and I'm going to enforce our immigration laws and I'm going to build the wall and I'm going to do all the things that I promised I would do. And, you know, that's, that's the way the guy campaigned, and he's trying to live up to it. So right or wrong, that's the way it is, folks. I'm going to grab a cup of Joe. Hang in there. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Russian election officials say they're looking into several incidents of ballot stuffing in the presidential vote today. Independent election observers and activists have alleged numerous incidents of irregularities in the vote, which President Vladimir Putin is virtually certain to win. Britain's foreign minister says he has evidence Russia has been stockpiling a nerve agent in violation of international law. This after a Russian envoy suggested the toxin used to poison a former Russian spy could have come from the U.K., 
Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson says the trail blame for the poisoning of Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia, quote, leads inexorably to the Kremlin. And a senior Syrian Kurdish official says Kurdish fighters have withdrawn from Afrin after Turkish troops and allied forces pushed into the town center in Syria today. This is SRN News. When I need x-rays, I choose Tampa Bay Imaging. Two convenient locations, Pinellas Park in Tampa, 727-545-9674 and 813-386-3674. State-of-the-art equipment, I know these guys personally. Complimentary transportation, insist on TBI Pinellas, 727-545-9674, 727-545-9674. Hillsboro, 813-386-3674, 813-386-3674. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET, mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795. Hey, I'm Brant. Maybe you've heard me talking about MediShare, but now I give you my friend Sherry. Yes, I have loved MediShare. Loved it. Is that all you have to say? Because this will be a really short. <laughs> no, I really do love it. I've saved hundreds a month. And overall, I just think it's a better choice of a health care program for me. I'm really happy with it. And honestly, normally, I don't even like talking about this stuff. Nobody does. But MediShare is different. MediShare members share each other's health care bills. We pray for each other. It's a not-for-profit, so we all save money. True. Tell them about the thing. What too, thing? The online thing. Oh, yeah, I used that the other night. MediShare members can now access a doctor online 24-7. You can get a prescription for the flu or something just that fast. So MediShare can save you hundreds a month. You get to be part of the community. You get a huge network of doctors and providers to choose from. It's all pretty awesome. It's all pretty awesome. It's all pretty awesome. The final verdict from Jerry. So call 844-41-BIBLE. That's 844-41-BIBLE. 844-41-BIBLE. Buying, selling, or investing in real estate? Choose the top listing agency in Tampa Bay, Platinum MVP Realty. I'm Brandon Rimes, owner and top listing agent. My team and I are experts in marketing as featured in Florida Realtor Magazine five times in the last three years. It would be our pleasure to serve you if you are buying, selling, or investing in Tampa Bay. 813-670-7372, PlatinumMVPRealty.com. 813-670-7372, PlatinumMVPRealty.com. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. We'll have areas of fog early today, otherwise mostly sunny with a high of 80, partly cloudy tonight, low 64. More humid tomorrow with partly cloudy skies and a high of 79. Cloudy most of the time tomorrow evening, low 68. Then a strong thunderstorm possible Tuesday, which can be severe. High Tuesday, 76. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Holly Holdren for AM860, The Answer. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, a little bit of Led Zeppelin and their immigration song. Uh, fascinating song. It's actually about the Norman invasion, the, the Norsemen, the Vikings, their invasion of the western coast of England. And uh, it goes back to the 
9th and 10th centuries, 11th centuries. So uh, an interesting song, and you would think that uh, Led Zeppelin was only singing about drugs and rock and roll, but they sang about a lot of different things, love and philosophy and history and, oh my, <clears throat> fun, huh? Well, I'm talking about the sanctuary cities today, special requests from some of my patients whose names I can't tell you because of privacy issues. But I was doing a little math during the break, and Trump's a businessman. I mean, he's interested in saving money and making money. That's what he does. He is a money man. <clears throat> and to that end, I, and to his credit, I would say that he's trying to figure out ways to bring more money into the United States, put it into the hands of those of us who are working so hard for it, and cut down the cost of the federal government. None of those are easy tasks, and I'm not sure what he'll accomplish, but more power to him. But let's take a look at the illegal immigrants. The Constitution and the federal courts said that if you provide social services to your own citizens and you have someone who's living in your jurisdiction, legally or illegally, you have to provide the same social services, whether it's Medicaid or food stamps or EBT cards or whatever it is. Well, let's say that illegal immigrants are costing the country an extra $10 billion a year. Now, that's small change. That's less than 1% of the federal budget. Now, if you put up a wall that costs $20 billion and you throw several hundred million more into enforcement of the immigration laws, maybe you'll save 5 or $10 billion a year. And over time, it's going to add up. And, you know, $100 billion is no longer small change. That's uh, a, a noticeable portion of the federal budget. So there are some common sense to this. There's some economic law to this, and we need to see where it's going to go. I'd like to see it play out myself. By the way, a new ruling, the Federal Appeals Court in New Orleans has upheld Texas law targeting sanctuary cities. And this is one of the toughest state-level immigration measures in the country. And so the state is saying to their own cities, you can't do this. You can't be a... Uh, sanctuary city, we're going to step in here and force you to cooperate with we, the state. The Tuesday ruling last week by the Fifth Circuit Court allows police in Texas to ask people their immigration status during routine stops. Say, I didn't know you couldn't do that. Well, there has been legal debate as to whether or not you could do that. And different jurisdictions have actually told their police officers that you cannot ask people when you stop them what their immigration status is. You can't ask them where they're from. You can't ask them questions that might reveal that they are here illegally and are committing a crime. And you say, well, is this the left-wing liberals? Well, I'm sure that there's an element of that, but there's also an economic element. Again, it goes back to how many people can we incarcerate and lock up, and what do we do with them all, and where are we going to house them all, and how are we going to feed and take care of their health care and, and all the other needs. So it's both a liberal cause and an economic cause on the parts of the jurisdictions. By the way, this new law in Texas also threatens officials with jail time for not cooperating with federal immigration authorities. You say, well, I thought that they had to. no. Constitution says you do not have to cooperate with the federal agents who are doing their job. You can't interfere, 
but you don't have to cooperate because you're not getting paid to. All comes down to cash, baby. It's all comes down to cash. And the allegation of discrimination was rejected by the courts saying an illegal alien is a status. It's not a color. It's not a creed. It's not an ethnicity. It's a status. Are you here legally or illegally? So what is your status? And the state has the right to know that. And of course, the attorney general and, and Governor Abbott are happy and they're saying that they're going to confront these dangerous sanctuary cities and asking Trump to do the same and to continue on with what he's doing. And Trump's now calling on Congress to deliver a budget that protects our homeland and properly funds all of our law enforcement needs. And properly is the catchword there. And that means that if anybody interferes or refuses to cooperate with not just interfere, but refuses to cooperate with the federal government in terms of hanging on to illegal aliens that have been picked up for other reasons, sharing the names of those illegal aliens, even if they're released back into the public with the federal government and cooperating with the federal government when they come to raid the cities like the ICE agents tried to do out in Oakland, California a few weeks ago. Well, then they're not going to get this funding. So there's the, there's the string. There's the little uh, carrot that the federal government can hold out in front of the state and local jurisdictions. And I think it's a wonderful idea. We'll see if Congress will cooperate and put some strings on some of this federal money. A lot of the money that Trump is talking about, it goes to the police and sheriff's departments in these jurisdictions, as well as transportation and public safety projects. And so we got a, we got a good fight going on here. It's a great fight. It's, it's a Supreme court level fight. And I'm, I'm having a lot of fun just watching it. I really enjoy this sort of thing. Of course, I want to see Trump's side win. I would like to see our immigration laws enforced and reformed. And by the way, the president is trying to and pushing Congress to go for a a merit-based immigration code rather than one based upon this country gets so many this year and that country next year, and we'll take in all the poor and the uneducated and the the downtrodden from the Caribbean, uh, so on and so forth. And a lot of people come to the United States because there's more economic opportunity. Once they're here, they find out what it's like to live under a system where we actually have laws that are enforced and most of us follow the laws. You know, we, yeah, I know everybody speeds every once in a while, but uh, for the most part, we're a pretty law abiding country. We, we, we pretty much understand and see the necessity of having a rule of law that was left to us by our English predecessors, our forefathers. So the Supreme court's jumping in here and I personally hope that the courts will come down on the side of law and order and enforcement of the immigration laws. Part of the problem when you have sanctuary cities, when you have major politicians saying we should be a bilingual country like uh, 
that idiot Jimmy Carter said back in the 70s. He wanted Spanish to be our second language. When you do all of these things, basically, you're going to balkanize our country. The Balkans, that's the peninsula that Greece is on. It sticks out into the Mediterranean. And it's got a bunch of little countries. Then under the communists, they were called Yugoslavia. They broke up in the 1990s and actually went to war. Uh, Kosovo, Serbs, uh, Bosnia, Albania, a bunch of these little countries are different ethnic and religious groups. You've got Muslims, you've got Coptic Christians, you've got Catholic Christians, you've got all kinds of, of factions there, and they were fighting each other, and they have been for a long time. And even with peace now, the, the Greeks are going after the Macedonians because they don't want Macedonia, which is one of the little countries that formed after Yugoslavia broke up in the Balkan Peninsula. They don't want Macedonia using the name Macedonia. Why? Well, Alexander the Great was a Macedonian, and so the Greeks consider Macedonia part of the greater Greek country that Alexander in, in part united. And so the Macedonians are saying, wait a minute, are you crazy? Macedonians are who we are. That's what we are. So they're fighting over a name. They're fighting over a name. And this is better than what they had been fighting over and the ways in which they were fighting over it. And they're use, using the courts and the European Union to work this out. But this is a problem when, when you have cities and city-states and governments at the state level and the local levels doing what they want and imposing uh, those rules which they think are most relevant to their benefit and ignoring those rules which they don't like, federal law, or interfering actively, as the Oakland mayor did, then what you're doing is you're encouraging a breakup of the country into little city-states, little uh, municipalities, and everybody saying, well, we'll make our own rules. Well, you know, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way if we speak two or three different languages. It just doesn't work that well. And you go to a big country like China where they have different dialects here and there, and, and the people are just now interacting more in the past 20, 30 years and, and uh, learning each other's different states and their different ways of seeing and doing things. It's, it's uh, quite an eye-opener. And when you come to the United States, you know, you, you're not happy in Florida. You move to California. You speak the same language. They, do, they speak the same language, basically the same laws. There are some nuances in California as there are in Florida. Different states have a little different codes for different things. But basically, can go anywhere in the United States, be accepted, speak the language, fit in. And there's not many places in the world you can do that. Big countries like China and Russia and Brazil and India. India, although English is fast becoming their, their national language, all the states speak a different dialect of, of the Hindi language. And you say, well... They're doing okay, aren't they? You know, it's taken them a long time to get to this point, and I think they're going to do very well. I think India is going to be a real powerhouse, and I, I'm, I have nothing but confidence in the Indians' ability to to bring that about. But I got to tell you, it's it's fascinating to sit in the doctor's lunchroom and realize that there are doctors from India, and if they talk in their native tongue, their state in India. 
that someone else at the table is not going to understand what they're saying. And so everybody talks in English. And in addition, this balkanization is not just in the United States. It's all over the world. There are so many cultures trying to hold on to and remain separate from the rest of the world. But guess what? English is taking the English language is taking over the world. And this is what's going to end some of this balkanization. We have to be careful not to let it happen here. We, we, we just don't want that. We're better off as 50 states hanging together, little fighting here and there, that's fine. But to tell city employees not to ask about immigration status, not to enforce laws that the United States has passed, even when it's partly their responsibility, or actually interfering with those laws and with the normal functions of the federal government and executing the laws that Congress has passed and the president has signed, well, that's that's not acceptable. And it's not just a spiritual or a moral issue. It, it's a common sense, practical issue. We, we want to hang together. We're safer. We're better. And we've got countries that depend upon us around the world. And we've had friends around the world. We have the Canadians who are as good a friend as any country could have. We have this wonderful group of people on our northern border who are peaceful, who have been beside us in every major war and conflict. And uh, we can't pr present to the world a fractured country. You know, it'll, it'll destroy us. You know, the good example is that at the beginning of World War II, when we got involved, the people in Miami said, well, we're not turning off our lights at night. The city said they're not going to turn off their lights because so much of their income came from the tourists who were there. And, and of course, nightlife is a time when, when a lot of people like to be out and about spending money. Well, the German U-boats would sit off the shore and they'd sit out far enough away that they could see cargo ships and tankers and uh, Coast Guard vessels. They could see their silhouette from the lights in Miami because <laughs> Miami said, even though there's a national uh, decree to turn off your lights, we're going to defy the federal government because our local economy is more important. Eventually they did, but that sort of thing tends to break us apart and, and break us apart in ways which are not good. Obviously, we need some debate. We need some friction. We need a little rub. We need to keep each other in check. But it's just silly to try to balkanize our country. It, it has no real meaning or purpose. Uh, the only thing that I can see, I mean, the left will say that, that the world needs to be one and all that kind of nonsense. But Basically, it, in my opinion, it just boils down to money and power, greed. And uh, you say, well, you know, the mayor of Oakland, she's a good person and she's not greedy and she doesn't really want to take over the world and blah, 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 blah. You know what? Everybody has a motive. Everybody has an ulterior motive. It, it's just the nature of the human beast. And she may want to appear to be a really magnanimous person who is protecting the local citizenry. What's she get out of it? Well, she gets a lot of kudos and pats on the back, and she may end up in the state house out there or governor of California. So she's she's not just doing this out of the goodwill of her heart to help out these poor illegal immigrants. 
She's doing it because there's money and power in it. So we got the ability to control the money strings, and that'll cut down on some of the power that goes along with the money. So we just need to push our federal legislators to enact spending bills with which have strings attached. If you interfere with the ICE agents, you're going to lose this funding. If you don't help us, we're not going to pay you this. Your police department is, is in part being paid by citizens from other states and certainly by the top 5% of income earners are paying way more than their fair share of the taxes. That That's okay with me. I don't have a problem paying a lot of taxes for programs that I agree with and I think are useful and helpful, but we need to remind those jurisdictions that they're getting money, money from all of us for their police cars. We're essentially forming a great big giant pool of money from all of us. And with that money, we sit down and look at which jurisdictions need what and how much money we can allocate there. And a high crime city like Oakland is going to require more than a low crime city like Lexington, Kentucky. So there you have it in a nutshell, folks. It's all about money. It's all about power. It's all about politics, egos. But our first job is self-preservation. So we don't want to see a balkanization of our country. We don't want a multilingual country. I can see this problem arising with the Canadians because Quebec is still a French-speaking province, and it's even in the national laws that they're a bilingual country. And it's fascinating to see the big differences between Ontario, which is where Toronto is, and Quebec, which is where Montreal and Quebec City are, and see how the language barrier has really kept these two neighbors apart in many, many ways. It's not a good thing. And I have some friends from French uh, Canada, from Quebec, and some of them say, you know, English is a much better language anyway. It's easier to learn and use. It's easier to express yourself. And it, it will bind the whole country of Canada together more tightly. You say, well, isn't it kind of romantic to have this this country that has more than one language and, you know, yeah, it's nice to go up to Quebec City, but you don't have to speak French in Quebec City to make it a beautiful place to go to. What the French founded there, the fort, the old city, that's not going away just because the language becomes English. Some of the traditions will change, but that may not be a bad thing. We were at a party last night with the French Canadians, and you know what? They don't celebrate St. Patrick's Day. You know, I thought that was like an international uh, holiday. Oh, my God, Bill, I was shocked, just shocked. I could hardly lift my glass of wine to my lips. But I did. <laughs> I got it up there. So here's here's the final note. We got a minute or less to go here. So Congress can do this, and Congress passed a law withholding 5% of highway funds for states back in the 1980s for the states who refused to adopt a minimum drinking age of 21. And this was upheld in the federal courts. So this is significant. 
Congress can do this. And now all the states have a have a 21-year age limit on drinking because we know that teenagers, even young men up to 25 or 30, don't handle alcohol as well as people, as men over 30. That's, that's the wrap. Good being with you guys this weekend, and I'll catch you next week. Bill, I'm out of here. Thank you. Bye-bye. Love you guys. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.